I've got cancer, but I'm part of a clinical trial that could lead to new breakthroughs. I've got cancer, but I've also got researchers working together to find a cure. If you or a loved one has cancer, you need New Jersey's only comprehensive cancer center designated by the National Cancer Institute. I've got cancer, but I've also got hope. Learn more at rwjbh.org slash beatcancer. RWJ Barnabas Health and Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey. Let's beat cancer together. RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey's largest academic health care system and official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. Let's be healthy together. Learn more at rwjbh.org. Speak of the Devils is supported by Riverside Oral Surgery, official partner of the New Jersey Devils. Hi, everybody. Matt Lachlan along with Chris Westcott. Welcome to the latest edition of Speak of the Devils, our weekly podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. And we think we have a great addition to our library Chris, as we welcome Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. I know we love to do deep dives, particularly around the draft, about who might go when and where, and we'll figure that out later on. But also the the detail that he brings to us in this podcast on prospects and what to look for. Matt, the the interview just flies by. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I'll I'll admit to everyone listening here, Matty, I'm a big draft nerd. I mean, NFL draft and NHL draft. I just love it. It's so cool because you're scouting hundreds and hundreds of these young players that aren't fully developed that you don't know what they're going to be. And it's a lot of projection and it's a lot of analytics and stats and watching film and going to games and going to the Olympics. And it's, it's just such a cool thing in sports. And, And I really appreciate Scott giving us the time that he did because as you'll listen, uh, it is a great interview, and he does give amazing insight. Um, definitely looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Uh, we touch upon the prospects for the upcoming draft. Who might a surprise be? Who the right now number one guy is in his mind? We also talk about the Devils' prospects. He's got a lot of good things to say about where the Devils are and who we might see soon. And, oh, yeah, you want to stick around for what he has to say about Alex Holt. And Luke Yu. So without further ado, let's bring in our guest as we say hello to Scott Wheeler. Scott Wheeler, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. A busy time, as you were telling us before, recently moved. You've got a child who's less than a year old and hockey. Oh, by the way, that's part of your life, too. But thanks very much for carving out some time for us. Yeah. And the schedule said, why don't we mix in the Olympics while we're at it? So it's been... uh... (laughs) It's been a crazy month, month and a half. This is kind of my busiest time of the year work-wise, as is. And then we've thrown in the move with a nine-month-old, as you alluded to. So still getting settled into my my makeshift office here. <laughs> but, but hey, we wouldn't want it any other way, right? Busy is good. We like to be able to stay active, stay alive, raising a child, moving into a new place, getting to know the neighborhood, and then diving deeply into the sport that we love so much. So it's a perfect time. Agreed. Agreed. Let's get into it. So fair enough. Uh, Your recent draft prospect listing in the athletic had Shane Wright, number one overall. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's been the number one guy for a long time. There are some doubters saying he hasn't lived up to that billing this year. There are a lot of reasons for that. Why is he still number one on your prospect list? Well, I think part of it is that he's beginning to look like it more and more these last couple of months. While all of this has been happening for me, Shane has 
been not turning around his season because it's not as though it was going poorly for him. Uh, but he, he has really found a new level. He has gone from looking like a top prospect to looking like, okay, this is why this kid should have been in the first overall conversation all along. Uh, so it's, it's been a nice run of play for him. He's, he's found a new level. He's contributing more and his coach is there. I mean, I, I've spoken with Luca Caputi and, and the staff there in Kingston, and they would have told you even in October, November, that despite the fact that the goals maybe weren't going in and the points weren't coming together, like he would have hoped that he was playing tremendous hockey and that he looked like a dominant two-way center and that he was controlling play and that the chances were there, even if the points weren't. So uh, it's, it's just beginning to fall for him. Now the luck is beginning to go his way. The pucks finding the back of the net more, they're finding more consistency as a team in Kingston. They were supposed to be one of the favorites this year uh, to win the Memorial cup. And, for stretches of this season, they really haven't looked that way. They were giving up a lot of goals. So it's just been a little bit of a learning curve. And then obviously he's coming off of having not played at all last year, which I don't think can be overlooked in this process. He missed an entire season of his development due to the pandemic last season and what that meant for the OHL. So I'm still a big fan of Shane. I still see a kid who has a chance to be a, a impactful, maybe not true superstar level talent, but an impactful star level, top of the lineup center, top six center who can anchor a team down the middle. So uh, a lot to be excited about, even if he's not Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews. How would you surmise the draft class as a whole? Uh, I looked ahead and you, you talked about 2023 being might be the best class that you've ever scouted so far. Yes. But uh, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it's it's kind of ironic because a year ago, heading into the 2021 trade deadline in the NHL, teams were actually moving en masse to try and get rid of 2021 picks and acquire more 2022 selections because of the perception that this was this year's draft class was stronger than the one that we just had. And I think now the more I've watched this draft, the more I've talked to scouts who've watched this draft, the more you ask around with NHL folks about this draft. That's not necessarily the belief any longer. I think you probably describe both of the last two drafts as about average, maybe slightly below average. And now they're constantly being juxtaposed as you kind of hinted at to 2023, which I don't think helps their case just because 2023 is special. And and as you mentioned, other than 2015, probably the best draft class I've ever scouted and maybe even comparable to 2015, which we know produced Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel and Miko Ren and, and you go down the list, right? So uh, it, it's it's a special group in 2023. And I think this draft class maybe suffers by comparison, but it, you're still going to see talent. We just saw Uri Slavkovsky score seven goals at the Olympics and he's a projected top 10 pick. So it's not just the Shane Wright show and then a weaker draft class after that. It, it's a fine draft class and there's going to be star level NHL players that come out of it and impact guys at Certainly at forward and defense, there there isn't a goalie in this draft class like we're accustomed to these last few years. I think we've been spoiled with Yepper Wallstedt and Yaroslav Askarov and Spencer Knight and some of the goalies that have come through the draft in recent years. Uh, so maybe this draft class doesn't have that, but it's it's a decent class on the whole, if if a little underwhelming. If you had to pick one guy, the Scott Wheeler special that maybe people aren't talking about, but you would stand on a table and pound for this guy. Is there, is there one that maybe isn't being talked about a lot that you, you would go to bat for? 
Well, David Goyette's the immediate player that comes to mind. He's playing with the Sudbury Wolves, widely regarded as kind of a second round pick. But I really, really believe in Goyette as a first round guy in this draft class. I'd take him as early as the late teens, early 20s. And just a kid who I am very, very fond of. He's arguably the best skater in the draft class up front, or at least certainly in the top five among skaters and really just makes a ton of plays, has the puck a lot, a very dynamic player as far as I'm concerned. And I think because he's been a part of a young Sudbury Wolves team, maybe the numbers don't pop as much as his skill might uh, sort of require that they would if he were on a better team. Uh, But yeah, I think it's going to come. That young Sudbury team is going to be a year older next year. And I expect him to have a huge breakout year after he gets picked. So Goyette's probably the natural one. But then there are two kids I would point to in the top 10 conversation as kids that I maybe like a little bit better than the consensus. And they are Simon Nemitz, the Slovakian defender, uh, and Matt Savoy out of the Winnipeg Ice. And Savoy is a kid who I would certainly take as the second forward immediately after Shane Wright is gone. And Nemitz is, is for sure my number one defenseman in this draft class. And that isn't necessarily a consensus view in discussions I've had with NHL scouts. They, they see both of those kids as more five to 10 guys than top five guys. And I'm a firm believer in both of those players as top five guys in this draft. So those are probably the three names that I would immediately sort of highlight. You mentioned Slavkovsky just a, a moment ago. What's the challenge for you as someone who looks at prospects and try to rank them and you're getting information from your sources and also doing the eyeball test and the analytics test and all that sort of stuff, but not only for you, but for scouts, to look at a small sample like an Olympic tournament, which wasn't what it might have been, and he might have shined as much as he did, and then compare that to a body of work. Is it just a lucky, fortunate, the highest he'll play over a 10-game or 10-day period, or is this the real thing? So how do you how do you work that all into your equation? Well, it's a tricky problem to solve. There's no question. It's an imperfect science. Scouting in hockey, I would say, especially in baseball, you have measurables, right? You know how hard a pitcher throws the ball. You know bat speed. You know launch angle. In basketball, you know wingspan and what that means for a player's ability to defend. In hockey, it's much more fluid than that. And certainly things like size and their skill sets and all of that and their birthdays, I think, is starting to matter more and more. There's a recognition that some kids that go into the draft are 11 months older than other kids and what that extra time can mean for some. But with 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 someone like Slavkovsky in these tournaments, we hear so much about the world juniors bump or in, in Slavkovsky's case, what could be a, a, an Olympics bump. And I think you have to evaluate it like you would evaluate any other subset of six or seven games where it has weight, it has value, but you can't get carried away and thinking, okay, you're Iceland. Kofsky wowed us at the Olympics. That means he's a second or third overall pick when he has looked like a top, more of a top 10 guy than a top three guy for the rest of his draft class. So I know scouts are having that conversation now about him. Scouts are are asking around amongst their departments and saying, wait, do, do we see this guy as maybe in that tier with Shane right now, or is he still more of a top 10 guy? So certainly it's hard not to get excited after he plays as well as he did. But you have to pull the reins, I think, a little bit. You have to look at the body of the work, what he's done in Liga this season professionally, what he's done in, in Finland's Junior League, what he has done in prior seasons, his play at the Holinka Gretzky Cup this year, where he was also tremendous. So there's a there's a lot to consider with a player like Slavkovsky. 
And at the end of the day, he's still going to be a very high pick with or without the Olympics. So I don't think it's going to make or break him one way or the other. I said that you would take analytics into part of the equation. And I'm wondering how much analytics does play a role at such a young age. I get it on the NHL. And I also understand the arguments on both sides. They drive me crazy. Can't we all just get along and accept the fact that it's a new tool and an important tool and it can supplement the eye test, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I digress. The point is, how much is analytics used when looking at 16, 17-year-old athletes? Well, increasingly, it's becoming a big part of the industry. Teams are doing their own player tracking, the scouting service that they predominantly use called Instat does a lot of tracking of data that manually outputs things like zone entries and zone exits and the player's ability to win board battles and a player's ability to defend the rush. So there's those micro stats in terms of the events that are now being tracked that go way beyond goals and assists. But then there's also increasingly we're getting things like time on ice data, things that we expect to have in the NHL that we haven't often had with some of these lower leagues are also beginning to to be produced as extra sort of data points for us. All of the leagues in Europe, for example, with Slavkovsky, both the junior level league that he plays in and obviously the professional level he plays in in Liga, they have pretty advanced stats. They track possession. They track Corsi 4 and uh, PDO and luck and all of the things that are now being tracked at the NHL level in terms of the major statistics that people are starting to get comfortable with. They're beginning to pop up in all of these leagues and not all of them have it. I would actually argue that the CHL, the biggest junior league in the world, is the league that's most behind because they don't release time on ice data. They don't release a ton of shot data. Uh, so it can be tricky with some of the leagues. There are leagues that have much more data than others, uh, which makes evaluating these players on a level playing field very difficult. And then the other thing, which I always try to remind people in terms of leaning too heavily into data on these kids, is that the parity that we exist that exists in the NHL does not exist at lower levels. So when we're measuring player A on the Toronto Maple Leafs and player B on the Ottawa Senators in the NHL, you can know that even with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the top of the standings and the Ottawa Senators at the bottom of the standings, that on any given night, it's about a 55 to 45 percent chance that the results go in either direction. And that is absolutely not true in these junior and pro levels. The gap between the good teams in the KHL or SHL or Liga or the CHL here in Canada and the bottom feeding teams is extremely pronounced. And it has very strong effects on their production and players that play on bad teams obviously tend to score less and players that are playing on the Kingston front max like Shane Wright is tend to score a little bit more because he's surrounded by other drafted NHL talent. So you have to consider a lot when you're trying to sort of map out the context of where these kids are at. And certainly data is becoming more and more pronounced at the lower levels, but there's still so much more that goes into it. Than there is in the NHL, where in the NHL, almost everything is on equal playing field. I, w- I would assume that with analytics with younger players, too, it's it's a lot more difficult because they're not finished physically yet. They're not the finished product yet. Right? Definitely. Yeah, there, there's no question about that. You, you see growth spurts in these kids. That's where age comes into factor. If you're drafting a young 17-year-old or an overager who's 20 years old, They are on completely different trajectories. Their bodies probably look quite different. Some players really, really struggle to add weight. 
other players add weight too quickly and then they look almost heavy or or overweight when they do things like fitness testing for NHL clubs. So there's a ton that goes into where these kids are at and where they might be at three, four, five years down the line when suddenly they're 22, 23 years old and they're trying to make an NHL roster. So it's a you, there's no question about the the age piece and the physical piece of it is a huge factor as well and a lot of that comes down to just getting to know the kids talking to their coaches asking around about what they look like in the gym whether they're going to be able to add muscle down the line or whether they're always going to be a skinny kid all of those things are conversations that NHL teams are having with the staff that are supporting these players. And they're conversations that people like me absolutely have to have with those same people to figure out where they're at and, and what their trend might look like moving forward. That's why the numbers, they're just another tool in the toolbox and you have to you know pick up a tool from the shed over there and off the wall over there uh, to try and come up with a complete picture. That's, that's really cool to, to, you know, hear your perspective on selecting the future players that are coming into the league. I did want to pivot here to move. We are a devil's podcast and we do have a pretty relevant devil's thing to talk about with you. And that's you've ranked the devil's number four on your prospect list. That's exciting to devil's fans. It's exciting to us. We want to see these young players succeed because it makes our jobs easier to talk about them when they're winning (laughs) hockey games. Um, You know, I guess, I guess Maddie and I have talked about this off off camera before in, in terms of, we're kind of all of the devil's top prospects seem to be playing in the NHL now, except for a few, mm-hmm. but it looks from your list. Like it's a little bit deeper than that outside the top two guys, but there's some depth to players that could eventually play NHL games within the devil system. Yeah, certainly the top two guys are, are the be all and end all. You have to hit on, on the Luke Hughes of the world and the Alexander Holtz's of the world to successfully build a contending Stanley cup contending team. These days, you look at the teams that are having success. It's the Colorado avalanche. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's the Tampa Bay lightning. It's star driven teams. It's very rare nowadays to see a team like the St. Louis blues of 2019 win the Stanley cup without a true star. I think everybody would agree that the St. Louis blues as good as, Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Petrangelo were for them and are still, they aren't the, the Kucherovs, the McDavid's, the Austin Matthews's of the world, right? So uh, you have to make good on those high picks when you get them. I think the Devils have done that with Luke Hughes and, and Alexander Holtz. I think both of them are going to be true impact players at the NHL level. But you also need to find depth. You need to find the third line guy. You need to find a third pairing defenseman. You need to find players who are different shapes and sizes. You need the skill types who can play at the top of your lineup. You need the long defender who can defend in transition. And frankly, they have a little bit of everything in their pool as well. I wouldn't say they have after those two big names, true sort of impact guys coming per se. But I really like Riley Walsh as a potential NHL defenseman. I really like Nolan Foote as a potential NHL winger. Shakir McMadoulin looks like he may turn out. Uh, Arseny Gritsyuk has reestablished himself and really become a legit top prospect when, obviously, when he was drafted, given where he was picked, he wasn't widely perceived to be that level of player. So they've just done a really good job of finding different shapes and sizes, finding players who will be able to plug holes for them. And I think that's extremely important for this next chapter for the Devils, just to make sure that they've got organizational depth. They've got guys on entry-level contracts who can play, which we know has tremendous value in today's cap world. Uh, So there's a lot to like about what they've got coming with that group, even after you get beyond the two guys who are going to have the greatest impact. 
What kind of an impact do you suspect that those top two guys will have? Luke Hughes is having a freshman year for the ages at the University mm-hmm. of Michigan, and Alexander Holtz is cooking just well and nice and going strong down at Utica. What is up for those two? Well, it's funny. When I released the ranking, I had Holtz one and, and Hughes two on my list and kind of said that they, these were the two most interchangeable players that I had at the top of any of the 32 prospect pool rankings that I had. And if I'm sitting here today and I was re-releasing a month later, my list, I'd have Luke Hughes one and Alexander Holtz two. And that's just because of how well Luke is coming along. So I think both of them are going to be excellent NHL players. I think that's clear at this point. Obviously in Holtz, what you're expecting is a goal scoring winger who can play on your first power play, who can play in your top six at even strength, who can really shoot the puck. I actually think Holtz has for a long, long time here had underrating playmaking skill as well. He is not just a shooter. I think he makes a lot of smart little reads and little plays under sticks to get pucks to his teammates in dangerous spots. When defenders take his shot away, he's good at trying to do something else with it. So it's not always just tunnel vision. I need to get the puck to the net. Uh, And then Hughes is obviously almost a transcendent skater in terms of his ability to move out there. And that just allows him to completely dictate play, to be in charge of the puck, Obviously, the transition game is what he's best known for. He's going to transport a lot of pucks up ice and carry the puck end to end and create a lot of zone entries. But he's also become a much more dangerous player this year inside the offensive zone. I actually think that's probably the biggest development that Luke Hughes has undergone this season is just attacking a little bit more at the national program. He often used his skating inside the offensive zone to rotate around it. He was very much a perimeter guy who you'd see swinging in circles around the offensive zone. And he made a lot of plays that way. But this year, as the goal, the the incredible goal totals indicate, he's getting to the inside more and he's using his skating to attack and to take over and to not just look for the pass into into those areas, but carry the puck into those areas. So I think Luke is going to be Maybe not a true number one defenseman because I'm not sure he's ever going to be strong enough defensively. He still does have a lot of work on on the defensive side of his game to improve. But offensively, he, he looks like he's capable of being at least a number two defenseman in the NHL and certainly a power play guy. So those are star players. Maybe he doesn't become the $10 million a year defenseman, but I think there's a absolutely an outcome where Luke Hughes becomes a seven or $8 million a year defenseman and those guys can also change an organization. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what both of those two players do. And certainly Hughes is the more exciting talent in terms of that just ability to thrill you with his skating. But I'm a big, big fan of Alexander Holtz as well. What, what can Luke gain by another year at Michigan? Uh, obviously they're an incredibly talented side. Uh, some players went off to the Olympics and that disrupted at least outwardly chemistry, but they filled in with no problem. Luke had a little bit of an elevated role with uh, powers out. So what does that extra year when he will presumably be the man or certainly one of the top two men for Michigan defensively, what help does he get from that? Well, I think being the man is, is the biggest thing, right? Owen power. We know is turning pro at the end of this year. We know Owen power is going to be playing with the Buffalo Sabres next season. And in, in powers absence, he gets to do what he's done during this Olympic break, which is look to find a new level, take on greater responsibility. And I think that's where the defensive responsibility comes in 
particularly important because he, again, he's got work to do there. There is still once or twice a game where he'll get walked to the outside or he'll lose his man in coverage or miss an assignment. Uh, So it's, it's about finding that balance. And I think he's going to have no trouble finding it, especially because of the way his skating allows him to correct when he makes a mistake or get caught out of position. Uh, But it's just about taking on a greater responsibility being one of the top players in college hockey, playing greater minutes, spending more time on the penalty kill, and just really rounding out his game. We almost never see one-and-done defensemen. Zach Wierenski spent two years. Quinn, his brother, spent two years. Kale McCarr spent two years. Jake Sanderson is about to have spent his second year. Owen Power spent two years. So I do think it's really important for defensemen to maybe spend that extra season, whereas we see a lot of forwards who are still one-and-done in college hockey. And I think for Luke, it's the same. And especially because of his late birthday, there, there is no rush. He, he's so young still. So even as a sophomore, he's going to be a very young player in college hockey. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's absolutely the right decision for him. It's the decision that he's going to make and that the devils will make. Uh, and it's kind of to be expected, I believe at, at this point in this stage in his career. And then he, obviously he comes out of his sophomore year and the, the full expectation is that if all goes well, he'll sign his contract and he'll be a devil a year and a half from now. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think you can understate the uh, benefit to having a college gym, like the one that's at university of Michigan and have a training program to be able to do that a whole nother year just yeah. puts you at a better advantage. When it, when we talk about these young players, their bodies are changing and for him to be able to put on a little bit more weight and muscle mass over the course of another year, I think would be huge. And that's another thing with Luke is he's still, despite being much taller than both of his other brothers, he's still a very skinny, almost underdeveloped kid physically. So there is certainly some muscle mass to, to be added there for him to get to what will eventually be his playing weight in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you to go back to Alexander Holtz a little bit. I think everyone's Devils fans are expecting him to be like the trigger man for a Jack Hughes or a Nico mm-hmm. Heischer and just line up and just fired into the net. I've been more encouraged with seeing him score in a very, in a, a lot of different ways um, in the American hockey league this year. I, I was surprised you talk about his playmaking, but he's taking the puck to the net. He's making plays in a phone booth and he's scoring on the one timers that we expected as well. Yeah. And I would actually probably argue that his, his one timer and his sort of spot up shooting has never actually been the strength of his scoring package. It's always been good. But it's never been like Cole Caulfield was where he would just pick a spot in the net at lower levels and score or like Arthur Kaliev was when he would just rip pucks past goalies in 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 the OHL. So it's not that kind of Patrick Laine, Austin Matthews, Alex Dabrinkit kind of scorer where they just cleanly are beating goalies all the time. It's you're right. It's a bit of power. It's a bit of finesse. It's scoring from different spots. It's dropping a shoulder and driving the net and then he can also score from his spots on the power play and be the guy at the top of the faceoff circle and all of that. That's true for sure. Uh, but that's not going to be the be all and end all of his, of his game. He's not going to score 500 goals from the, from the circle like Alex Ovechkin has. That's just not the kind of shooter he is. So I think you're going to need to get it in variety. And that still could mean he plays with Jack Hughes or Nico Hichet and excels doing that style of the game but he's not just going to be a get me the puck and let me rip it player. There's a little bit more to Alexander Holtz than that. A couple of names that have come up during the course of our conversation with you, Scott and Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. 
principle among them. In some ways, have they done a disservice to those who are drafted in the number one spot or in the first round simply because they are so sublime in their talent? Uh, They were coming into the league in men's bodies, their generational talents, and everyone is compared to them. In some ways, as much as they've helped this game, have they hurt some of the draft guys because who can live up to that billing? Well, I think that's a very well-made point because we seem to be having an annual conversation now about how first overall picks have disappointed or how they're not having the kind of impacts that they used to. And I just don't think that's true. Nico Hiche was a great player in his rookie year and Jack Hughes took him some time, but was a great player into his sophomore year. Um, even Alexi Lafreniere, I think these players will begin to figure it out. They'll begin to find their way. And the reality is that not every first overall, second overall, third overall pick is going to be a star. It's just not an automatic game. And I think with Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, certainly you went into those situations expecting it to be automatic and it was automatic, but they are the exception to the rule more than the norm. And if you go through the history of first overall picks, there are plenty of players who just became very good NHLers and didn't all become Sidney Crosby or Steven Stamkos or John Tavares even. So uh, not every kid is, is going to make that kind of a difference. I think the hope is that we're going to get another one of those after a few years of not having one with Connor Bedard and Matt Demichkov in 2023. But even Shane Wright, as great as he is, isn't going to step into the league and score 70 points. That's just not the level that he's at, right? So uh, those players are few and far between. Those are once every 10 years, once every eight or nine years kinds of talents. And the seven or eight years in between, you're just getting a very good player in all likelihood. So uh, I do think people need to temper their expectations, especially as teams begin to quote unquote tank, uh, that it's not always going to work out maybe like it did for, for Toronto and Edmonton with those guys. And (laughs) you're talking about tanking. It actually did, in a weird way, work out for Buffalo, except they didn't want Jack Eichel. Turns out he's a pretty damn good player, but that's not who they were tanking for. So you can still tank, lose, and still win, but Buffalo never figured that out for for some reason. And to Buffalo's credit, I think we're starting to see what Rasmus Dallin was supposed to be all along now. And I think Owen Power is going to be a tremendous, tremendous player. So uh, even if Rasmus Dallin and Owen Power never win a Norris Trophy, if they can be the level of player that is right below that Norris tier, that's still going to change their fortunes in a big way. Oh yeah. Darlene impresses the heck out of me. I know there have been incredible holes, chasms in his defensive play during the early stages of his career. Part of that's because of the organization. Part of that is Mm -hmm. on the player, of course. Uh, But my goodness, the way he can skate and his size and his, uh, offensive ability, just teach There's him. There's no question. Teach him. And he seems to be being taught now and in a different environment has really started to flourish. Donnie Granado has done an awesome job with him. No question about that. So who is, uh, I'm not going to ask you who was someone you thought in, in your time following the draft that was going to be terrific and was a quote unquote bust. Cause that's not fair, but who is the guy you said he's going to be better than people think. And he's a player who should be drafted higher. And nobody was listening to Scott Wheeler. And he went in a lower round and you said, aha, I told you so. Oh, um, 
I don't want to pump my tires, but there have been many over the years, uh, kids that I was a big believer in who maybe the consensus wasn't there on, uh, Matt Barzell was a kid who I thought should have been a top five pick in his draft class, for example, and obviously was close to that, but certainly fell, uh, and fell for, I think the wrong reasons because he rubbed some people the wrong way in his combine interviews, which I think teams still to this day, uh, read a little bit too much into, um, but uh, some some of my favorites over the years, I I absolutely adored Samuel Girard, uh, who I think has become a fabulous player for the Colorado Avalanche and one of the true better young defensemen in the league these days. Uh, kid who should have been a first rounder for me. Uh, Alex DeBrincat feels like a cheap one because a lot of people were telling NHL teams all along that Alex was going to figure it out regardless of his size and become a true star in the league and obviously as a second round pick is one of the best second round picks to come into the league in a long, long time. Um, Yeah. Those are probably the names that, that immediately come to mind. Certainly Samuel Girard is a player that I'm, I'm proud of. Uh, And then there are players closer to the top that I was just a little bit higher on that are now finding success that I'm really thrilled for a player like Matt Boldy was a kid who, despite slipping out of the top 10, I was a big believer on that as a, five sixth overall pick in that draft class and he's really doing incredible things with the minnesota wild right now so uh yeah it's 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 a it's a fun game that way there are certainly some mixes some misses mixed in there for sure uh i've i've got my fair share of sort of demons in my closet in terms of kids that i've gotten wrong uh but really proud of the work that i've done on the whole over the last eight nine years that's why you have the platform you do that is, that is, that's why you're the prospect guru, right? <laughs> uh, Scott, I did want to ask you about a young guy that's jumped right into the NHL, uh, played for the Devils, and he's playing very well, is Dawson Mercer. And I know, I, I remember some of your tweets uh, at World Juniors, I believe it was, about Dawson and his impact, uh, albeit not playing many minutes, but he was making a big impact. But yeah. what, did, what did you like about him? And, and did you expect this type of production, particularly what he had at the start of the year? Uh, maybe not the sort of point per game or close clip that he was rolling at for a while there, but yes, I, I think the simple answer on Dawson was that he was always, uh, he always belonged as a guy in the 10 to 20 range of that draft class that despite the fact that he played a very sort of lunch pail style game, that he also had tons of skill. I think there's a trick that scouts often play on themselves where when they see a player who works extremely hard and is very detail oriented and defends well, and it can be the four checker on his line. It isn't always the flashy skill guy. They see that and they expect him to be a third line guy. They expect him to fit into that role player kind of mold. And oftentimes what's true of players like that is that certainly they can play that role. Dawson could have projected easily into that kind of a role throughout his career. But I think what was clear with Dawson is that there was also plenty of skill there and there was creativity and he was inventive on the ice when he had time and space and he could make plays to the interior. And that's now what we're seeing. We're just seeing a kid who is in a very effective hockey player and knows how to play within himself, knows what he's good at and really leans into that, has worked on some of his weaknesses to round out his game and is just a very complete, well-rounded player. And almost rarely so, because we don't often see 19, 20-year-olds who are not just talented, but really understand the game. And I think what any coach who's ever worked with Dawson would tell you Uh, or his camp, his agent, any of them would tell you is that he is a kid who has always, always, always been advanced in terms of not just work ethic, 
but just understanding where to be on the ice, how to get pucks into the right spaces on the ice, how to manipulate players and how to get up and underneath to win back pucks and win back possession. So uh, maybe he projected as a safe third round pick and that's why he almost slipped. But I think now you're seeing a player who's going to be a top six guy throughout his career. And maybe he's not a top six guy for a 15 year career. Maybe he spent seven or eight years as a top six guy and then seven or eight years as a third line guy. But those players are tremendously valuable to winning organizations. And I think that's exactly what Dawson's going to be for the Devils. I want to ask you about Ty Smith, uh, his sophomore year. If he was sitting in on this conversation, he would admit it's not been up to what he expected. Uh, what have you seen in him? And listen, everyone is not linear in their growth. So there are peaks and valleys, and maybe that's just exactly what we're experiencing. But your thoughts on Ty Smith, his second year, and where he goes from here? Well, Ty would certainly qualify as a kid that I was high on throughout his draft process and then post-draft. Really big fan of him. Had him in the teens on my board in his draft year. Uh, Him and Adam Fox were two players that I had stuck my neck out for in in terms of their development. And I still believe that he's never going to be Adam Fox. They were always in different tiers, but uh, I still believe that Ty is going to be a tremendous, tremendous top four defenseman. He's a player who really thinks the game at a quite a high level. He understands how to defend despite not being the biggest kid. I was always so impressed with him in his WHL days for his ability to create offense without ever sort of cheating for it or even really looking for it. There are a lot of offensive defensemen in junior hockey who create and created at the same level as, as Ty Smith did without being nearly as good as he was at that level. I think he was one of the very best defensemen we've seen come out of the WHL in terms of the level he was at when he exited the league into the NHL. And obviously the NHL has had some, the NHL level has come with some highs and lows for him for sure. But I still see him as a kid who's going to play 20, 21 minutes. He may not be the 25, 24 minute a night guy, but I think he's going to be a top four guy throughout his career. I think there's more offense than he's shown this season. And I think some of the defensive warts just come with a team that has gone through its own growing pains and that is still finding itself and figuring out where everybody fits in as they sort of change around the the parts and manipulate the lines and the pairings and all of that. So I, I I think Ty is going to be just fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about him at all. There's nothing in his game in terms of the way he plays and his tools that says that's a glaring hole. And because he has so much in his game that also you throw into the, the good bucket into the assets bucket, because there's that balancing scale that you're constantly worrying, worrying about. I, I think he's, he's, his scale is tipping uh, in his favor in, in almost all areas. So uh, I think he'll, he'll figure it out. Well, on that note, that is certainly music to a lot of devil's fans ears and I'm sure management and coaching staff as well. Scott, thanks very much. A half hour of your time. It flew by uh, great information. And we always look forward to reading your accounts in the athletic. I am a subscriber. And for those who aren't, who are listening, what are you waiting for? Uh, it's a great source of information on all sports, but hockey, which is in the States, underserved. It's a great place, a great resource, a great place to go. Great authors. And so, Scott, thanks for joining us. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. I think we've got a heck of a team on the hockey side. So very proud of the work we're doing. Yeah, no, thanks, Scott. Thank let's, have, let's have you back on uh, closer to the draft. That'd be great. Yep, let's do it. Happy to go over whoever they end up picking with you guys.
that it's of small consolation to the Devils fan who is listening to this as it impacts this year's team, right? The the year hasn't gone the way the Devils, players, staff, management, anyone wanted it to. But we keep harping that around the corner are some very bright days. And I think when you see, Chris, what we have out on the ice this year, combined with what we heard from Scott about the Devils prospect pool, I know you have to deliver on the promise, but it is right there. It is right at our fingertips. Yeah, I think, and and sustained success too, right? Like, I I think like that's the most important thing when you look at projecting where the Devils are going to be two, three, four, or five years down the line is you're not just looking for a drop in the bucket with a bunch of veteran guys that are pressing you against the cap and that are going to handcuff you in the future. The Devils have the potential, and again, it's like what Scott was saying. You got to hit on some of these guys, uh, particularly the top end guys. But the Devils have set themselves up where they've given themselves a shot at it, and I think like that's that's very important. It's not a, a team that's bereft of prospect talent. It is a. It, I said it when we talked to Scott. You're kind of expecting for them to stop being near the top of the prospect rankings at some point because the guys are graduating. You know, Heischer's no longer there. Hughes is no longer in that discussion. Ty Smith has elevated. So these young names are now in the NHL or pushing for it. But there they are. They're number four on Scott Wheeler's list again uh, with guys that probably won't hit their stride in the NHL for three more years. So when it all comes together, this is a team that might have sustained success and they're giving themselves a crack at that. They are indeed. And uh, we know the future is bright and uh, we trust that the, the future will arrive very much in the near term. And I, I'm, I'm glad that he mentioned uh, the things he did about Ty Smith because yeah, I, I'm a fan too. It's been a rough year uh, for Ty, but you know, the bones are there. The foundation is there. What we saw last year was not a mirage. And, you know, what do they say? Tough times make uh, for tough people. Is that what the saying is? I don't know, but you know what I mean? (laughs) You go through the heartaches and the headaches and the hard work and you come out on the other side better for it. So on that note, Chris, we'll wrap things up. Terrific show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Maddie. And thanks to our producer, Andrew McLean does His usual yeoman's work, he says he's just a producer, but we know the role that he has is much greater than that. And hey, you can't do it without a terrific producer. And we've got one uh, in Andrew McLean. And Blake, uh, Blaine, Blaine Sayers, I know you're listening too. And when you produce the show, you do a great job too. We're really blessed with wonderful talent here at the New Jersey Devil. So on that note, we'll wrap things up. Thanks so much to Scott Wheeler of The Athletic for joining us on uh, this episode of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. For the aforementioned crew, thanks for joining us. Your company is always uh, expected and appreciated because this is a place where you get terrific Devils insight and behind-the-scenes look and depth of information. So we know you've come to love it. We appreciate your company. It is very much appreciated. Until next time, thanks for listening. Be safe, be well. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.